Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Adventures in Isochronology, where we watch the Ecclesia wake up from her history in real time. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your host, Ben and Matthew Miller. It's good to be with you for this episode as we dive ever deeper into isochronal eschatology. This is going to be a good one. Uh, it's certainly going to play out to be an adventure. Of that, I am most certain. So, Ben, let's get you on, and um, your thoughts about working up to uh, this episode. What's been on your mind this week? How have you been contemplating this? It's good to be with you. Good to be with everybody. Uh, I have had a very busy week, and, you know, when we when we finished up the last show, I felt a little bit of a prick uh, that there were – there was at least a topic – in chapter 12 that needed to be revisited and this afternoon I got uh, a real big prick <laughs> to to go back and look at something and you know it's just it's it's good um everything is beautiful in its time and um I'm not sure if what I was hearing was a listener was had a question or if it was just for me but um it's it was a good thing. Well, it always is. It's a good thing to get some direction. You know, and that's why a lot of people won't step up to the plate. That's why they won't pick up the bat and swing away. Because well, they have no leading. I I mean they, they have absolutely no pricks as you describe them. So that gives me a heads up that we're probably going to uh go someplace that somebody needs. And that truly is a beautiful thing, because only in its time is a thing beautiful. So, uh, please elaborate on this prick you received today, I reckon. Well, we, we covered verse or chapter 12 in extensive detail of, of Genesis, and we gave a lot of information to the listener. But perhaps one of the topics that could have used some additional coverage is the child because of course we we talked about revelation chapter 12 and the child and the woman who was pregnant and about to give birth um but there there actually is encoded in uh in verse 8 um literally uh exactly what you should be expecting to hear and you're seeing that encoded alphanumerically or with the Hebrew text or perhaps the Greek text or even the Greek alphanumerics. Where do you see it? I'll, I'll take a read of it here. I've been experimenting with the Web Bible. I don't like it that it tries to pronounce 
the Lord my God's name proper. So when it does that, I don't have to say it. I'll just say Lord or Lord God. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 8. He left from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord God and called on the name of the Lord God. A very interesting verse for you to pick out there. Uh, a lot of directions, a lot of proper places. Uh, very interesting. Uh, so what did you see here in this verse, Ben? So in, in the Hebrew, and as we've talked before, that the Strongs will encode words uh, multiple ways. So like H3220, Yom, uh, that is west, and it's also the sea. Um, and literally when you, when you start here at Yom, you get Yom, I, Kedem, Bana, and that literally has a different meaning uh, than what, what you might be expecting. Um, it, you can literally read that to say, from the sea, a heap of ruins, east, or Kedem, which is alphanumerically 144, from one who is barren, Bana. Well, when you do that, you realize that that is a perfect way to translate an idea dealing with Sanctus Supplementium, one of those halves of the rod of iron. That's the perfect way to describe it. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you don't have this this phraseology, once you rip out their jots and tittles, uh, you're able to see a verse with perfect clarity and why the book of Revelation says uh, uses the phraseology that it does because it doesn't really make sense when you look at the text. I mean, he could have used so many different things there, but when you go to uh, the last verse in Revelation chapter 12, you you have to realize that the dragon grew angry with the woman and went away to make war with the rest of her seed or the remnant of her seed, whichever translation you're using. And what is the rest of her seed? It, it continues, who keep God's commandments and hold to Jesus' testimony. Now, I said that Jesus's, I pronounced it wrong, because a lot of uh, people, when you take a name and it has a possessive on it, they want to add an S. No, this is uh, literally saying how Jesus lived his life. That's what it's literally saying. This is Jesus possessive. So when you look at it that way, you, you realize that you're talking about the first group of 144,000. And she becomes barren due to the simple fact that the second group of 144,000 in Revelation 14 is taken from her. It's taken from her one of two ways, either from her womb or from her breast, going right to Matthew chapter 24, verse 19. But this is exactly the way you would describe it. Uh, God elaborates 
on his basic information that he's provided for us in the Apocalypse of Isaiah. Uh, that particular book inside of Isaiah, we go to the 26th chapter of Isaiah, and it explains to you in detail. So this is the core thought, and the verse that you just read is the setup for it. It's it's that impregnation into the prophetic language of Hebrew because God has taken from them the vows, leaving it a purely prophetic language. But uh, I'll read from verse 16. The Lord God in trouble they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. Here is a shadow of the ruining part, verse 17. Like as a woman with child who draws near the time of her delivery is in pain and cries out in her pangs, so we have been before you, Lord God. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We gave birth, it seems, only to wind. For we have not worked any deliverance in the earth, neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Take note, this is why all the angels rejoiced when Satan is kicked out of heaven. That strange interlude there in the book of Revelation where uh, all of heaven rejoices and then they turn right around and say, Woe to you, O earth, because your enemy has come unto you. We're going to top this off with the last verse. Verse 19, Your dead shall live. My dead bodies shall rise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth will cast forth the dead. This is the second this is the second group. Even though numbered first, they have come to ruin. And they have been beheaded. They cannot take the mark of the beast because they've been sealed by the angels there in Revelation chapter 7. So you have to realize the reason why you have, it must call the mother of Primus Resurrectorate barren, because her child, this male child, has been taken from her. And of course that could have been covered if we'd have read prior verses in Revelation chapter 12. But this is where you get it from. This is one of the uh, Primus Examples, the first examples of this encoding in the scripture that God turns into an isochronal loop. So it, it is definitely going to happen just the way he encoded it there to you. And if you were looking at the prophetic Hebrew text and realized that, wait a minute, uh, we they're saying that one word here in Hebrew, it's got five different Strong's numbers. That's just because they put their different jots and tittles on it to give it false, fake vowels. They have no idea how to pronounce it, but this works to God's advantage. He can use those Strong's numbers to incorporate into you a massive amount of information. It's just you have to know to go up and down in the Strong's to remove their jots and tittles. This is one of the primary functions as how the the cogs on the gear are able to line up because the biblical mechanics is critical to this because let's say we take a chapter um, let's say it's chapter 450 as an example you can get that Strong's number and realize that that 
thought, that idea is incorporated through the text because H450 may very well be 451, 452, 453, and 450, you know, yada, 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 yada. So God uses the the slop in the cogs of the gears so that they operate correctly. So, yes, that's a magnificent verse to bring up, and it has everything to do with direction, and you take note, how that verse reads, Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. He is giving you a vantage point, and he's letting you know that from this vantage point is where the altar will be to the Lord God. And it is from this vantage point that the Lord God will be called upon. So, uh, Pretty interesting catch you made there, but like I said, it was actually pretty difficult to see if you were just reading uh, your Bible and uh, one that had been keyed to Strong's. So that's that's pretty bombastic that you that you saw that. So back to you, Ben. Well, w- one other thing, uh, I saw it again when I revisited Chapter 13 because in Chapter 13 um, he mentions the tent, which we, we talked about the tent a bit last time, but the the word there, tent, tabernacle, it's used four times in that entire chapter. The first time that that word is used, it redirects you to Genesis uh, 12, verse 8, which, so he, he really wants you to know this point. Um, so you, you get a, a temporal reference to when these events are going to happen. And the other uh, time it is used, uh, that first use of Ohel, which is which is tabernacle, the, of the first form that you see in, in chapter 13, directs you to Genesis 35, verse 21, which is all about uh, the death of Rachel, who, of course, um, this is exactly what, what she was experiencing at that time. She went into labor. It was a hard labor. And uh, she named her son uh, Ben-Onai, and his father called him Benjamin. And as she was dying, uh, you, you see these events play out just as, you know, this is an isochronal event. Genesis 35 uh, is exactly uh, an isochronal event to what, what you're seeing described there in Genesis 12, verse 8. That is exactly correct. That is the way it stands. Um, I might go ahead and point this out as well, Thames. Uh, you, you have to realize what else is going on here. In the usage and looping back to Rachel, uh, everybody might want to take a look at the schematic that I provided for them there in the Facebook group. Uh, that shows the schematic of the list from the 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7. It's not until you realize that in this list, technically, um, there's a reason why Rachel is represented the way that she is represented. And you have to realize that with her is a third unseen one because... Manasseh and Ephraim's mother 
is used, and she was not Rachel's handmaid. Now you have Leah has four representations in that list. Bilhah, which was Rachel's handmaid, is represented twice. Zilpah, which is Leah's handmaid, she's represented twice. Leah, uh, again, is represented in the second portion three times. And then Rachel, of course, is Joseph Manasseh, which, like I just pointed out, uh, that was Joseph's Egyptian wife, and then Benjamin. So this this idea, if you don't catch a hold of it, it's not going to make any sense when you get to those key critical uh, points of information that he's going to give you in Revelation. It's, it's going to go right over your head, uh, literally speaking. So uh, with that in mind, uh, absolutely amazing that you made those catches and the importance of Rachel's death, the importance of, uh, well, we have other prophetic texts, Rachel weeping for her children. We, we have to understand these ideas. And uh, this whole incorporation as to why the rest of her children must become desolate. They're going to have to be beheaded. They have to die because they fulfill the list of martyrs as God tells them. A point blank range there. Uh, in the book of Revelation, he tells them to wait a little while longer for the rest of their numbers to be fulfilled. And the very next chapter, that's when he does it. So without those things in, in at least the back of your mind, Ben, they're going to go, you, well, you're going to be left in confusion is what's going to happen. Amen. Uh, and and it, it clearly mentions in Genesis 35 the birth pains, which... You know, most people that have a little bit of understanding, at least, of end times prophecy, have begun to see, to some degree, that uh, the birthing process is tied into that uh, series of events, and it's made very painfully clear uh, in exactly what happens with Rachel. Yes, no doubt about it. Um, you can't get around this. Um, this this pain that's going to be endured, uh, it's going to be great indeed, but um, like the Apocalypse of Isaiah reads, uh, she's not able to give deliverance for the world. Um, she's able to give deliverance to the entire scheme of things, which is very grandiose indeed. Um, very grandiose. Uh, but we know that uh, this is also what the Assyrian intends to do. Um, this thought, whenever you take a hold of some of the key ideas like the women being ripped open, uh, you realize why God does this. Uh, because that's exactly what happened before. So we know in the future time what, why it is that he invades the beautiful land. He's going after those babies. So everybody might want to do, as a side note, just look up in your KJV or whatever it is you're using, that phrase, ripped open, and you'll run into the prophecies dealing uh, with exactly what happened to the pregnant women. And this is why God answers that. He puts this into the equation. And it makes it to where uh, these 144,000 male child 
You won't be able to barter with them. That's how they're able to sing a new song, and nobody else can learn it because they actually never learned how to use their physical tongue. The Lord God of hosts has taught them to speak. So this goes into places that we don't want to consider ourselves, but uh, this ties into uh, where they want us to go, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, Ben, we, we talked about a current event today. Maybe you should describe that so people can brace themselves to realize what it is that's coming, because since 1973, very bad things have been happening that they have permitted, because uh, this is called a Christian nation. They all call themselves Christians, and this is what they have permitted to happen since 1973. And you might want to explain to everybody what their goal is uh, in the end as to when they can, well, perform their wickedness. Well, not to get too graphic, but, I mean, if you uh, do any reading on, on what a partial birth abortion uh, process literally involves, um, it is a very – it's legalized murder because you literally are taking a child that is in the birth canal and you do a medical procedure to end its life. But because it has not left the birth canal, it is um, it is considered a – uh, legal to do that and just following the logic of that where it goes um, you can see people reasoning in their mind that that if you cannot speak you um, you're not a human you're an, you're an animal and animals don't have the rights that people do and so why should any child that hasn't reached the age of being able to utter mommy and daddy um, be considered anything else other than an animal and, and where does that lead you? Well, it it leads you to where they want to go. I mean, this is common knowledge. It's been taught forever. And it's a building process. And ladies and gentlemen, everybody knows what separates us from the animals and the insects is our ability to strike our tongue off the back of our teeth and produce three-syllable phrases. And... Uh, that's their goal, and that is what they're going to do if they're not already doing this in, like, Africa. And it – because they're already doing quite dastardly things in Africa where people can't stop them. So – but that is where this is going, Temps. It, it is, and you can plainly see it if you know where to look. Amen. Well, should we uh, turn our sights to Chapter 15, or is there anything else you want to cover here in uh, Prelude? No, I think it's good if we just get straight away to our next step. People might notice that we're skipping a step, but uh, you can elaborate on that, and then let's get into Chapter 15, by all means. Amen. Um I can say for myself that I personally felt led to begin in chapter 15. Um, I know that the Lord is with me because of what I saw earlier today uh, when I began to do my study. And I'm going to go where the Holy Spirit leads me to go. Amen? Absolutely. Uh, amen even unto amen. Hallelujah. Uh, no doubt about that. 
So God must have very grandiose things for us to cover. We better get to it. Genesis chapter 15. Shall I begin reading, and how far would you like me to read today? Uh, why don't we do... Let's let's go up through verse 6, and let's talk about it. Very good. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Genesis, the 15th chapter. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but the one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Ben? We could literally spend all night just going over these six verses. There's so much here. Um, this, this vision, uh, that's, something, that's something new. Um, and then I'm your shield. Um, and your reward will be very great. Um, there's there's just so much here. Uh, Abram makes it clear that that he continues childless, so he's reminding the Lord of the promise that he had made him. And then he gets right to the point. He doesn't beat around the bush. He says that the heir of his house is Eliezer of Damascus. Um, no confusion there with what what he's saying he's saying you you made this promise and that's not what i'm seeing it's not even a, a, of my kin this is this is someone from damascus this is not um one of my kin which is which is rather interesting and um then the lord speaks to him and and reminds him of of, of the promise he says this man shall not be your heir but your own son will be your heir and he brought him outside, which is I, when I read that a couple times of that I found that interesting. He literally took him outside, and, and even that word outside, I'm not exactly clear exactly where where Abram was. It's not when it says outside. I think it's a little more than just being outside of a tent. I, I think that's a little more primal in terms of its meaning. But I, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, and then of course you get the uh, the promise, look toward heaven and number the stars if you can number them. Um, so shall your offspring be, uh, which is not only a reference to number. I mean, I can remember reading this as a kid in church or in school, and, and of course we would think about the numbers of the stars, but it's also about the location. I mean, when we think about the stars, we think about their how bright they are, how big, how how majestic they are, and that's literally um, that's literally what the Lord is referring to there uh, is 
is all of those things. Um, and then, of course, uh, it it resonates out with, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness, which is, you know, that's a very subtle point because we've all had situations where people have said things to us and, and you couldn't accept it. You know, someone might say, might pay you a compliment or or speak a good word over you and you, you might not be able to receive it. But when you try to reason the best word anyone has ever given you and compare that to what the Lord literally just said to Abram, it's hard to even it's hard to even say if you can even understand what the Lord literally just said to him. Your reward is going to be very great. Your your heir will come from your own body and your seed will be like the stars. I mean that I'm not sure that you know when you when you get a good word sometimes it it takes some time to digest it. I you know how much time would it take Abram to even understand in the natural what God had just said to him? But it makes it clear that that uh, he believed the Lord. He he was able to understand what the Lord had said, and the fact that he was able to receive it, that was righteous. Righteous indeed. And uh, it's interesting that you would uh, bring up uh, you wasn't quite sure where he went or how he got there because that word means to separate. And it literally means to be separated by a partition or a wall or a door. That's what it means. Uh, and it's absolutely amazing uh, that he uses this and it's more important to me that this exact case and form of that word is in another place that is magnificently important. Because this is one of the key ways that you can tell that the Lord our God used Delich when he did uh, write the New Testament for the Lord his God. This exact case and form is exactly where it should be if the other part of that stick that represents the sand of the seashore is not mentioned, because using that exact case and form is found in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. Now you know when most of this takes place. You thought it was a future event from Revelation chapter 3. However, ladies and gentlemen, let me go there and read to you. Uh, prophetically, when this, well, happens in Revelation, the seventh chapter. After this, I saw the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, 
having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Now, prophetically, we can also uh, remind everybody that this is also talked about in Isaiah, the 48th chapter, uh, those very strange verses that other prophecy teachers never want to talk about. But uh, this ties into why uh, this stick must be beheaded, or as Genesis chapter 12, verse 8 alluded to, they must become ruined. Uh, it's all right here. I'll read, I'll just read the first four verses. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are named Israel, and who come forth from the loins of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. Now let me pause for this verse. I've already told you this. That's why the second group of 144,000, Revelation chapter 14 they get taken before they acquire the ability to speak. So take note of that. Verse 2. For they call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. I declared the formal things long ago and they went forth from my mouth and I proclaimed them. Suddenly I acted and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead bronze. So now you know why they have to be beheaded. He is tired of it. Um, and I shall go on because it does go on to include why the scapegoat and his Assyrian false prophet forges the image of the beast. Verse 5, Therefore I declared them to you long ago, before they took place, I proclaimed them to you, so that you would not say, My idol has done them, and my grim image and my molten image have commanded them. So, uh, that's quite a lot for me to cover with just a single word, but it literally is that important that you have to be able to see what God is doing with the written text itself. Now, yes, we're obviously learning a great deal uh, in our tongue, English, and, and how this is all working out, but... Uh, a lot of this deeper information, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it, it can only come from, as Ben did, looking at what he actually wrote and being able to see why God spelt it that way and used it in this case. So this is off the charts of prophetic significance just in this first first six verses that we read. But because he mentioned one half of that stick, now here 
Abram is not being told the whole secret. You'll take note he didn't mention here uh, that the other part of his seed will be numbered like the sand of the seashore. So, and this is one of the reasons why he's not been renamed yet. You'll take note that the text plainly said Abram. So, Ben, your commentary uh, on those first six verses, my thoughts on them, please. Well, I'm just going to address straight directly what I know some people are thinking. God is, you know, he forgives us. His mercy endures forever. That is absolutely true, ladies and gentlemen. But the Lord, in his own mouth, told you, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You have a choice to make. Uh, there are two paths. There is the bride who is laying down her life and pursuing righteousness. And there is the prodigal son, the one who wants his inheritance now. And as Matthew said very plainly, the only option for that one is to give up their head. It's that simple. And you can find that in the Old Testament. You can find it in the New Testament. You can find it in the alphanumerics. You can find it any way that you want to as long as your eyes are open and you're reading literally what the Bible says. The only way that you can't find it is if you're looking at the commentaries or listening to the radio or the DVDs or the newsletters or whatever it is that they want to spoon feed you. All that processed gunk will tell you something different. But the Word of God tells you straight exactly the same thing every time the same way. It's that simple. Well, I'm glad that you brought up this idea of the air. I mean, it makes me immediately think of Galatians chapter 4, verse 30. Uh, but what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. Ladies and gentlemen, I could I could talk about Hebrews chapter 11 when it talks about the heir, uh, Galatians chapter 3, Romans chapter 4. I'm just going to cut to the chase for use of time. There's a reason why Abram said what he said in Genesis chapter 15 and bringing up Eliezer. Let's get this straight. Let's get this straight. You have to realize there are three in-time entities. Three of them. There is the male child, there is the woman, and there is the rest of her children. The heirs is going to be the woman. The heirs is going to be the woman. The other two groups are going to have a job. And whether you like it or not... As grandiose as Primus Resurrectorate is, even though they are pulling security for the wedding feast of the Lamb, they're not sitting at the table. And they don't get to enjoy that. Uh, you have to understand, uh, you have to remember, we, we just read it. Uh, that uh, what Eliezer means, God's help. 
And you have to realize why Damascus was mentioned here. Of course, you know that's one of the telltale signs that we're really getting down the road when Damascus is destroyed. You all know that from other teachings or lessons you might have heard. But this is the reason why it's being targeted in this instance, and it coincides with the events that will, that will unfold there soon after. So we have to realize, ladies and gentlemen, that those who serve in the kingdom of heaven, they are anointed. They are not the heirs. Yes, um, they facilitate a grandiose job, but the woman does not have a job. You get to enjoy and live under the security of those who are serving inside that temple. So, pretty important thoughts that if you miss them, they go right over your head. And this ties directly into the ritual of the wives three. No doubt about it uh, that, well, Abraham certainly had three. No doubt about it. But uh, if you miss this here in Genesis chapter 15... You're going to miss it through the other 65 books of the Bible. You're not going to be able to see it. You won't be able to perceive it. You won't be able to focus on it, so to speak. You won't be looking for it. So, Ben? Amen. I think that's a very good uh, summary of these first six verses in Genesis 15. Um, you want me to go ahead and, and start in verse 7 and... Do the next stanza? Most certainly so. Okay. All right, starting in verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Wow, is that prophetic. Um, <laughs> and we can talk about this all day long. But unfortunately, uh, for everybody involved, make no mistakes about it. Verse 10 is going to be fulfilled on a grandiose scale when, of course, the dragon assaults the stars of heaven by using his tail to swipe out one-third of them and drag them to the earth. But here, you have to understand that in that time, God will remember his promise, and Abraham will certainly not be... Uh, taking care of the birds of prey, but the promise will, make no mistakes about it. Um, we know that directly. Uh, here I go again, quoting from Revelation chapter 12, but it's kind of hard not to. Uh, but you're told that they have their hands very full. Um, and verse 7 of Revelation chapter 12, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war. Take note who's waging war. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Let me read it to you 
in the first way that God said it. Okay? I'll read it to you the first way God says what he's about to say in Revelation. Then he brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and laid them each half opposite the other. But he, he did not cut the birds. Did you catch it? And you're sitting there thinking, well, why didn't he cut the birds? And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and, at, and Abram drove them away. Okay? So, let's go back and let's finish it. This is why Michael's the one waging war. The dragon does not... Oh, I know you've all been taught this. I know that's what you've been taught. That it's Satan that wages the war. No, it's not. The reason why Michael and the host of heaven attack is so that you won't be touched. The promise will endure. It's the whole reason why it happens. Okay, let me cease from interrupting God's word. I'll just start at the beginning again. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war. And the dragon, the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Now, this is exactly what I told everybody that that happens. Uh, everybody in heaven is happy now and says, woe to the earth because your adversary has come down to you. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is just an isochronal event. The only reason why Abram was wondering why all these things happened is because the angel of the Lord Jesus Christ had not visited John in prison yet. Because John hadn't been born yet. He wouldn't be born for thousands of years. So poor Abram had no idea what was going on. You do. You do know why all this was going on. So absolutely magnificent that you're going to have to see. I don't even need to look at the text. We already read it. Uh, I didn't even have to read it. Uh, describing the angel that comes from the the ascending of the sun to mark uh, these 144,000 that will be ruined by getting their, their heads chopped off and becoming martyrs, and then resurrecting with the first resurrection and, uh, well, providing security and administration of the kingdom of heaven. Somebody has to do that. Um just like uh, the mighty Abishai was one of David's mighty men, uh, we have to have we have to have people that run the kingdom of heaven. So, uh, Ben, back to you. But but I know what's coming. I I don't have to think about it. I I know it's coming. It's he just swatted the birds away, and that that tells me what's going to happen. But back to you. Well, let, let's talk about those birds for a second, because that swatting away is the exact opposite of what he says in Isaiah 18. In Isaiah 18, the exact opposite thing happens when the birds show up. They actually get to eat those carcasses. Um, so part of this exercise needs to be that people understand that every single word that is used is used for a reason. Uh, he can say whatever he wants, but 
he's giving you clues to specific details that are extremely important so that you can understand where this particular uh, temporal uh, reference lines up with other references and, and where it doesn't. And Isaiah uh, 18 is talking about something a little bit different than this one, because in that instance, the birds are not swatted away. They actually get to feast on all of those carcasses. And how about this word heifer, egla? That word, the first time that it is used next in the Bible, is all about the consecration of the tabernacle. Um, you know, God is is so... <laughs> I, I'm struggling for an adjective to describe him, but he is so magnificent in his ability to put things together in just the perfect fashion that he's telling you by the next use of that word heifer that we're still dealing with tabernacle. And the very next time that this word heifer is used is in 1 Samuel 6-7, which is all about the return of the ark to Israel. And then the very next time that it's used is 2 Samuel 6-3, which is about the return of the ark to Jerusalem. And in that particular reference, you get a very, a, a very deep description of exactly what the 144,000 are going to be doing when the ark is in the place that it's supposed to be. When you overlap that that description, which is given to you in 2 Samuel 6, with what you read in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation 14, when we're given the description of the 144,000, and you see the actions that David takes, including what he's wearing, and the act, the activity that he partakes in, and the response of the woman to him doing that, it you, you can see clearly that this is edifying, it's amplifying everything that you're seeing right there in the text. Well, doubly so with what David did, because his mother, David's mother, uh, she took offense at what he did, and uh, because of that, she didn't become David's mother. Um, she got rejected, and she became barren. So, yes, David dancing before the ark as a newborn uh, is, <laughs> it is, in all of its para-adventure, an isochronal event. That is isochronology, uh, hammered out, jot and tittle. Um, and it's just amazing that you know, you 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 talk about. I mean, I'm sorry to to go back to an original thought, but you included a whole lot there when you threw in David into the mix and the ark. Uh, this is an exchange. You have to realize that God uses this isochronology so that you will know that these that what is expelled from heaven happens in the same exchange as what is taken to heaven. But it, it takes us uh, straight to uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 28, and that grandiose riddle that everybody has trouble with. Uh, because they describe this to be uh, a rapturic event, but it ends with a threat from God. He says, 
wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will will gather. This, of course, is a direct threat to those who do want to live as they're once saved, always saved. And they want to do whatever they want to do. Lie and still go to heaven. Cheat on their taxes and still go to heaven. These types of people have abortions and still go to heaven. That that, that type of thing. Uh, we have to realize that God states it right there in Matthew 24, verse 28, that wherever their corpses are is where these vultures are going to be gathered as they're swiped out of heaven. Which makes things far worse than any science fiction horror flick that you have watched in times past. It's going to be, well, I don't need to describe it, don't need to go into it. We're talking about the promise. We're talking about good things. And uh, let's get back to that. But uh, absolutely amazing that you would throw in there David going before the ark. But with that word, that, that usage, the case and tense of the word heifer, God forces you. Now, not if you're just looking at the English or the Spanish or the Russian or whatever. That's just a translation. Whenever you're looking at what he actually wrote, it screams it. He forces you to to understand the isochronology that he's hammering out in quite adventuresome ways. But yes, um, the one who's supposed to be his, you know, first number one uh, heir producer. Now, take note, she was the anointed wife. She was the daughter of who? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, the king, right? The king yeah. the king that God shoved down their throats because they wanted one. So she was the anointed mother of the kingdom. And, uh, you know, well, let me rephrase that. I, I misquoted myself. She was the heir mother of the kingdom. She was supposed to produce the heir. And she was completely and absolutely rejected for the anointed. So, uh, wow, we could spend a whole lot of time on that. But uh, back to you, Ben. Well, I'm just going to – I'm going to um, – I'm going where I feel the Spirit is leading me. So I'm going to read this, First Samuel 6, starting in verse 7. Now then, take and prepare a new cart, two milk cows, on which there has never been a yoke, and yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them. That is Revelation chapter 12. Where did that baby go? It went home. That's right. It, it Well, it, it went home. And, and you're given a hint about the age, right? Because you should... Sure. <laughs> Read it one more time. Explain yourself. You better explain yourself. Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows, on which there has never been a yoke. And yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves at home away from them. Now, who who drinks milk? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, for thousands of years, this is how it was done. I mean, I know with the advent of Similac and baby formula, this is no longer done anymore. And they actually take the breast milk, and instead of giving it to their their babes, they actually sell it on the Internet to rich people. But uh, you don't have to like it. But for 
most of history until the 70s, actually. Until the 70s, uh, a mother stopped breastfeeding when she began to be bitten by the child, which exemplified for literally, literally, the better part of, well, let me rephrase that, over 5,000 years was when the baby got its front teeth. Ben? Yeah, and what are those front teeth used for? They are used for speaking. <laughs> you have to have them to speak. And you cannot speak correctly without them. This is common knowledge, Temps. This is, this is common knowledge. Well, I'm, I'm going to say it a little different than what you, the way you just said it. And, and you cannot lie without those teeth. Oh, that stung. That stung. That, that, that really did sting. Uh, touche, shall I, <laughs> shall I say. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good stuff there, uh, Ben. Um, there's no better way to put that. You stated it correctly and adequately. I shall end my comments there. Well, and just uh, a few more comments about this 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 word for heifer. It is um, Isaiah twenty eight twenty seven. Egypt is a heifer. Hosea ten eleven. Ephraim is a heifer. Judah must plow. Um, do follow those cross references out, ladies and gentlemen. We don't have time to do it. Um, we'll lose some of you if we do. Um, but follow those cross references out, and you will you will see more to this pattern. Fractally, you'll see more than we we have time to to get into. Well, was you wanting to proceed and finish? We're already at the hour mark. I leave it in your most capable hands to decide. Um, it would be good if we could finish out Genesis 15, but I don't know. Is that is that okay? Oh, it's fine with me. I've got well all the time God has unfortunately given me. Um, because I would much rather be riddling... Well, I think me and Abishai would just hit it square away. But uh, I'm not permitted to uh, enter into my rest yet, so I have all the time he's given me. So it's up to you. If you'd like to continue on, let's get, away, let, let's, let's get it going. Well, I, 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 I'd like to finish this out, and I'm really... Um, I really want to hear what you have to say about these last two stanzas because I know it's going to be edifying. Um, so I'll go ahead and I'll start here in verse 12 and, and take the next and finish in verse 16. And, and uh, let's. So as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell over Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." Well, ladies and gentlemen, I told you, you should have expected it when that angel came from the rising of the sun. You should have expected it. I knew I was going to hear it. Uh, you will take note that Abram is separated here. Uh, God has to let him know that, yes, I'm telling you what is to come, but as for you, 
this won't happen to you. You will be uh, go to a, a good old age and die. Uh, he will not be ruined, so to speak. So it's very important here that you're able to see the isochronology going on. That yes, uh, we know they went to Egypt. That's why the book of Revelation calls the entire planet Egypt and gives its capital city as Jerusalem. Of course, he alluded to that in uh, Isaiah chapter 48, the opening diatribe, which I read to everybody. So this should be pretty fresh in your mind. Now, take note. We have to lock on to uh, something that's very important here with the last verse that Thames read. And I'm sorry, I keep using his nickname. He is Ben Lawrence, um, but for so long he wanted to be uh, hold to his nickname. I do apologize for that. I can't be perfect yet. Only Jesus is perfect, so I will continue to make that mistake, but I will try to try to secure my tongue. But here in verse 16, it's very important that you understand why God is using uh, this word Amorite, why he's bringing it up. Uh, it's also very important that you understand that he uses it uh, very, very prophetically uh, other times in the Bible. But this means mountain dwellers, those who go up on their high places to worship. Uh, this is extremely important in the uh, Hebrew uh, when you're looking at what God actually wrote with his own hand. Uh, boy, um, you – should I even mention it? Well, well, it is incorporated into a prophecy that mentions a book that is not included in the Bible, the Book of Wars. Uh, that is very important. Uh, when it does so, and uh, please take note that uh, that's going to come up in Genesis, uh, but uh, just please know and understand that that's, that's pretty important that that's used, uh, this, this extra book uh, that is referred to. I'll read it to you. It's in Numbers uh, chapter 21. Um, I'll just read the whole thing. Uh, verse 13. From there they journeyed and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that comes out of the border of the Amorites. For Arnon is a border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Verse 14. Therefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, the Waib in Sufra, and the Waldees of the Arnon, and the slope of the Waldees that extends to the site of Aur, and leans from the border of Moab. So it's very important that you understand why this extra biblical text is included here, and we're not going to cover it uh, because, well, we just... We just don't have time to, but I've let you know exactly why uh, that had to be included there at the uh, end of that stanza, verse 16. You have to realize what that word means in Hebrew, uh, those of the mountain, those who 
Now, the Bible speaks many times of this. They go up to their high places. I'm sure those that uh, are used to using the KJV in particular know that phrase, the high places. So this is extremely important that you understand why God said exactly what he said and how uh, there's no way that Abram would have any reckoning of what was going on, that he was beginning isochronology. Uh, this was going to be the answer to even why the Messiah was to come. This promise would be kept and met, and everyone will play their part. Everything will play its part to make sure this prophecy is exactly what comes to pass. Ben? Amen. Um the first thing that comes to mind for me is uh, the reference to the affliction. Uh, they were going to be afflicted for 400 years. And, of course, um, we see this tit for tat. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, when they were in Egypt and Abram was separated from his wife, you could say that that is a, a form of affliction. And we can say that uh, the way that... Um, Sarah treated um, Hagar, she afflicted her. And, of course, we see this tit-for-tat going back and forth. The manner in which you judge is the manner in which you will be judged. And, of course, everyone should be remembering that what just happened when they left Egypt. Uh, Abram left a very rich man. And isochronally, that's exactly what you see in verse 14. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. That is literally what happened in Genesis verse 12, or chapter 12, that we spent so much time on last time. We literally see that, and we're going to see that again in the Exodus, the exact same uh, situation. The judgment is over all the nation. Um, just so everybody's clear, um, judgment is over the whole nation. It's not just so and it's not just the Republicans, it's not just the Democrats, it's it's the whole nation. Uh the the only distinction that God makes with judgment is when he was dealing with the Exodus and um they were not uh, afflicted in the region that the Israelites were living in. But other than that, when you're dealing with the nation, it's it's everybody. Um and you you need to understand that. Um, <clears throat> the next thing, this 400 years, I mean, you can see that historically uh, with people groups. Um, you just do a search. Look look for servitude 400 years and see what pops up. You'll be amazed at which, how often you see this in history uh, where servitude lasts that way. Isochronally, that still happens today. Um, and then the sojourning, we talked about that a bit last time. Um, even the Christ said, uh, you know, the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. He was a sojourner. Uh, Abram was a sojourner. Uh, Jacob was a sojourner. Um, that literally is the condition in which um, we find ourselves. Well, we have to realize that that time is playing an integer here. He's telling you prophetically something very significant because... Well, we know the difference between the measure and the royal measure, and we have to take note that when he he states 
400 years. Uh, you realize that one, well, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, um, when you take 400 and you divide it by a number that you're not wanting to hear, but I'm going to tell you anyway, uh, when you divide that by six, you get, well, you're back to where you don't want to be because that's 66.6. Six 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 and two infinity. So with the time integer here, and you know what's going to happen to the dimensions of the temple or the footstool, however you'd like to talk about it, it has serious impact when you know that when God mentions four hundred years or four hundred yams, four hundred times, um, this. Well, this is exactly why the Aditya has it encoded there in Revelation chapter 7. Um, you have to realize that it doesn't say 144,000. It uses the alphanumeric 144, and then it uses the word kilios with a final sigma, altering that number from its standard count to its royal count of 666. So literally, the Adidorgia says 144-666, and they will become ruined. So it's in this 400 years that they become ruined prophetically uh, when time truly goes topsy-turvy. So please take note that I've made a lot of references to this, but between Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14, you can't keep time, ladies and gentlemen, because the earth is wobbling just like Isaiah 24 states it's going to, and when it, that happens, you can't keep time. If we're not spinning at a standard rate and we're not going around the sun at a standard rate, your watch will be utterly worthless. Your clocks will be worthless. So, Ben, back to you. Amen. I, I think that you, you said that uh, perfectly. Um, I'll just go ahead and round out this, this last stanza. Um, starting in verse 17, When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about this first. I know that all of you are probably wanting me to mention the list. It's got to be important, but there's something very important here that you need to realize. Here in verse 17, he makes himself perfectly clear that he didn't pass between the birds. That's not what he said. Uh, you'll take note that that is H1506. It means something cut off. So you have to realize that the pieces there uh, pronounce the – well, no reason to do that. These pieces are very important, and you're supposed to know that's why that threat was made from 
Matthew chapter 24, that where the corpses were, the vultures were going to gather. Uh, you just got your answer to it because that torch didn't touch those vultures, eagles, birds, whatever you want to say. Uh, it only passed between the pieces. And God makes himself perfectly clear on that day. On that day um, is when um, this promise will be answered. No doubt about it. So we do have a list here that, uh, prophetically speaking, we could absolutely tear apart. Uh, the Kenite, uh, you know, we can lightly talk about that. That, of course, prophetically is also a city uh, in Judah. And it, well, it means spear. And then it says the Kenizzite. So you have to realize those of the spear. And I hope I don't have to remind you that those who live by the sword will die by that sword. We also have to realize that these... Uh, it's phrased this way for a reason. It says the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kadamite. In Hebrew, this is this is pretty important. But I'm sure that everybody knows about the Rephaim and the prophetic nature that that word serves. So here, prophecy is just off the rail. And truly, you could spend a year with... Genesis chapter 15, verses 19 and 20 and 21. Now, Tam has already gave great length as to the word there, the Canaanite. You're supposed to know what that means. So he's pointing you prophetically not to a Kenite. He's talking to you prophetically as to what is going to be in your midst as you sojourn, because that's what you are now, ladies and gentlemen. You're not in the kingdom of heaven. So you're sojourning. You're in Egypt. And he stated that so many different ways. Of course, the borders of this region, you're supposed to know, is also prophetic. That's why it goes. He mentions the two rivers, the one of Egypt and the great river, the one that's in the scripture called the river, Euphrates. And I don't need to remind everybody that's mentioned in the book of Revelation for a reason. So he's given you a whole lot of data here, prophetically. Ben, your thoughts on this final stanza, because it is a whopper, and we could literally rest here for many days. Yes, we could. The, the first thing uh, that stands out is if you just do the count of these. Uh, groups, you get ten. Um, so we're literally talking about the land of the ten kings, um, or you could say ten horns. Um, that's literally what what this list is referencing. And th the second thing I'll say is is that you know when we deal with rivers, rivers demarcate boundaries. Um, I believe it's the book of Nehemiah opens out and talks about the governors beyond the rivers. When you when you cross a body of water, you enter into a new dominion, um, a new space. That's I mean it's 
everybody knows this. Uh, how many battles in history were decided by a, a army crossing a body of water? And as soon as they did, the, the war changed and they won or they or they lost because that happened. Uh, there is it is a um, the rivers bodies of water demarcate out uh, authorities or dominions and where their where their authority uh, lies uh, in many in many cases and you <laughs> he's he's making it very clear to you that that um, he's going to replace these these ten kings with Abram's offspring. Well, we're going to have to bring this up. Um, it would seem that the Lord wants us to uh, do this, so we're going to. I already mentioned, I already read from Numbers, the 21st chapter, and the book of the wars of the Lord. And the simple fact that a direct quote from this prophetic text is, in fact, included in the Bible, and nobody wants to talk about this. Now, they are very happy to talk about the verse from the book of Enoch that is included in the New Testament, but they don't like talking about this particular one. But, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord your God is obviously wanting you to cover what Thames and I have not. That's Genesis chapter 14. That's for you. You need to study that. Using what you learned tonight... And what you learned in the prior episodes, you need to meet the Lord your God in the middle. You need to meet him in the middle. And in the middle of where we were and where we are is the battle of the kings. Now, that being said, uh, we need to get Ben's reasoning, uh, you know, for... For skipping the War of the Kings, which is, well, I don't need to say that, do I? Of course it's important, but uh, Ben needs to help us remember that we've shared a whole lot with what we did cover and how the Lord wants you, whoever you might be and wherever you might be, to meet the Lord in the middle and go back to where we were and where we are tonight. Ben? Hey, man. Um, you know, I, I had a private conversation with Matthew, and, you know, he's very patient with, with anybody he speaks to privately because, you know, I could call Matthew and I could say, hey, you know that, that use of this word in the Hebrew in this chapter, and he doesn't need to go to the computer or the, or the Bible. In most instances, he, he knows it. So he's... You know he's really got to slow down to <laughs> to uh, just uh, pay attention to to what uh, I'm trying to say to him, um, and he's very patient. And you know I I was a little bit bothered with myself this afternoon because I had not mentioned that that reference to pregnancy, uh, bana, which occurs in Genesis 12:8. And Matthew said something that, that that had a lot of wisdom. He said, we do what we can, when we can, to the best of our ability with what we have been given. And ladies and gentlemen, I am, I, uh, I'm not a teacher, um, but I am trying to be faithful. Um, this is not 
easy for me. It's not natural for me to to be um, speaking on these topics. But um, if the Lord needs someone to speak, um, then I will be faithful to what what He needs. Um, and I'm I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, but I'm I'm trusting in His mercy, and I'm trying to do the best that I can. And um, Genesis 14, uh, I just felt led to to not do that. Uh, starting with today, I felt like we needed to get into Genesis 15. Um, I don't want any listeners to think that we're at or I or am at any particular level. I've been studying the Bible pretty heavily for about eight years now, um, and probably not as heavy as I should be. Uh, but my whole goal is to get you interested in picking it up and reading it for yourself. And um, there's nothing special about me. Um, I'm the least among all of you. But uh, I felt strongly that if we had done Genesis 14, we would have lost some people, um, including to some degree myself, because Genesis 14 is a very tough chapter, and I, I would prefer to do it with Brian. Uh, I think that's a. I think that Brian and, and Matthew could do a much better uh, with that chapter than than I could. So, and um, I think for the listener, uh, getting the reinforcement of everything that we've heard in the preceding chapters and seeing it resonate going forward, I thought that there was a lot of value in doing it. So that's why I, I chose to to do it this way. And um, hopefully that's that's okay with everybody. Well, we do need to clarify and uh, reveal what, what, what went on behind the scenes. You asked me if Brian was going to be able to make it a few days before. You wanted to ask for clarification. Is Brian going to be there for when we do Genesis chapter 14? He has been very sick as of late, ladies and gentlemen. He hasn't even been answering my text. Uh, that tells me, well, he... Uh, you all know uh, that he is on disability for a reason, so he wasn't able to make it, and uh, that's probably one of the reasons. Uh wasn't beautiful for anybody to do it without Brian, because really, Brian should do that all by himself. Uh, he doesn't need uh, Ben nor I to really, <laughs> really help him out with that one. Um, so that's probably why... The Holy Spirit shut us down on Genesis chapter 14. Uh, he knew that, that somebody was already lost, and Brian would be the first one to tell you. Well, if somebody was going to get lost, then the only way that Brian was going to shut his mouth was if the Lord just incapacitated him in some way, and he couldn't, because Brian would rather do that than one of you get lost and all of us start speaking Greek, as is the common phraseology for today. Everybody knows that when, you know, uh, someone they're talking to, if they start talking about calculus or engineering, they they really can't hear the words. They, they don't understand what's being said. And then you become good for nothing. And they will just shut you off and go somewhere else and listen to something else or, or read something else. And Brian would be the first to volunteer to be incapacitated to ensure that didn't happen to 
any of the members of the bridal procession. So it was important for us to let you know that 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 Ben had asked me that a few days before we come to the conclusion that now nah, the Holy Spirit was saying, nope, just jump right over Genesis chapter 14. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> no big deal. So do we even know where we're going next, Ben, or are we going to go straight to the next chapter? What's your thoughts or have the has the Holy Spirit give you a heads up yet? I, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. I mean, uh, at some point we will probably move forward, but the, the, the next couple chapters do give a whole lot of information that that is needed. And foundationally, uh, I can speak for myself that I spent an enormous amount of time in Genesis before I ever went anywhere else, and everything else was a lot easier to get by really understanding Genesis. Well, it is very hard words how the next chapter starts out. It's, uh, you know, you don't like it, and we both know that Abram didn't like it. But, you know, it, it, this is no doubt, this is what was said. Uh, Sarai said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing. So, you know, even though the battle of the kings is very important and, and all that, it's not even a hint or a shadow as important as to, uh, well, what Sarah reasoned in her mind would be the way that she would obtain children. Uh, but it was necessary. And uh, like we said, this is the riddle of the wives three. And um, that information, even though it's not as sci-fi as the war and the prophetic nature with the dragon and with Michael and all that good kind of stuff. You know, everybody likes the likes the action. Everybody likes the sci-fi and talking about the angelic. That's a side note. They're just servants. That's that's all that's going on there. They're just they're either uh, executing God's will or being used to execute God's will. So that's just. Yeah, it's 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 very important stuff, but but we need to understand the promise and the angelic and the kings and the this and the that. They don't have anything to do with the children of the promise. They're just footnotes. Even though, like I said, most people would rather spend time talking about that. That's not beautiful. Um, the Holy Spirit said that. It wasn't beautiful yet, so who knows, maybe four or five episodes down the road after we come to understand uh, that, you know, uh, Sarai was not Sarah yet, and she was very upset, and she knew that it was God who was preventing her from bearing because obviously her and Abram was having marital relations. So she was very distraught. And... uh well, Sarai wasn't perfect. She wasn't Jesus. And God used all these things to fulfill the promise so that we might be able to see 
uh, exactly what is to come implementing isochronology, Ben. So perhaps a different time, but not now. Amen. And uh, I would ask that the listeners please keep Brian in your prayers because uh, the affliction that Brian is dealing with is, is a horrible one. And he needs your prayers. I mean, Brian does a lot, just as Matthew does a lot. A lot isn't even a fair description of what they do. And they they need your prayers uh, because they do a lot of heavy lifting. And um, many times it's thankless work, uh, but it's for the kingdom. And please keep Brian in your prayers. Please, please keep Matthew in your prayers. Please keep uh, me in your prayers. Um, please keep each other in your prayers. And uh, as an aside, uh, if if you um, would like to join us um, because you're hearing some of the things that we're saying, and um, this this these broadcasts would certainly be amplified if we had someone that was um, with questions uh, real time. Because if the reality is, is if you have that question, five, ten, twenty other people have that same question. So if someone would like to join us while we're going through these things uh, to get us to slow down and, and go a little bit deeper, to tie a knot a little bit tighter, um, I'm very open to that, and I'm, I'm sure Matthew's very open to that as well. Extremely so. Um, you know, I don't even remember what our listener base was on the Portico of Solomon, but... Uh, um, Tim, what was the listener base back there on the Portico Psalm? I don't even know because I didn't do the switchboard. You did, but uh, I know we was having a lot of listeners per episode, and I would be routinely asked questions from those episodes, and that gives me worth. That's where I obtain my value is when one of you reach out with a question, and next thing you know, oh, you've got your answer. You you will find if you seek, no doubt about it. So, by all means, uh, I am completely open. Um, multiple ways you can get a hold of us, but uh, if you want to interact with us uh, out in our forum, you can uh, find us on uh, Facebook page. So, uh, we're both there, and Brian's there. Um, you could ask us in public, or you could just sit there and watch everybody else and learn from there answering of their own riddles so good stuff ben good stuff yes thank you i this was a lot of fun <laughs> you know people do all sorts of things on the weekend and the best part of my weekend is getting time with my bible after a hard uh, week of work and not being able to get into it as much as i would like these days and then being able to spend time just talking about the wonders of his word with a brother in Christ that knows what you know. It's, 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 uh, it truly is an honor. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, Adventures in Isochronology, signing off.